This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial grade AI. Everybody and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and it is an honor to talk to Peter Seberg. Good morning, Robert. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm fine, thank you, Peter. So last week we had uh, the Vision Thought Leader Cass on the podcast, and today we have also have a science policy topic again but in the next few weeks we promise we have have hydraulic phoenix contact a startup from sweden and a little surprise from the usa so once again some signs but i think it's a very interesting episode from the munich center for machine learning looking forward to I haven't heard it yeah, yet yeah because in one of our last i think do you remember in one of our last german language episode we had professor Sepp Hochreiter as a guest mm -hmm. yeah and uh, he provides us with his personal that's a very important top 10 list for ai research and munich was missing from the list and that's why thomas meyer from the munich center of machine learning wrote us and asked if he would like to report on the center and now you can listen to the episode with three of the center's professors so more in the main part but i think it's it's an honor for us to have three professors from the munich center for machine learning we never had that before so we are very honored to have these three experts from munich in our podcast and we are looking forward what is the feedback of the listeners to the munich center for machine learning yeah let's talk a bit about it before we move there at the end of our news part so peter what are your news i have a couple yeah first one is the everlasting cloud edge uh, discussion uh, so i did a quick inquiry so you know five six years ago when when we asked our potential customers about our at that time, industrial data intelligence startup solution, you know, nine out of 10, and they were mostly then German machine builder um, customers, potential customers, they would say, my data does not go into the cloud. And since then, <laughs> you've always been telling me, oh, Peter, with his, you know, no cloud uh, topic. Now, two, three weeks ago, during the Machine Learning Week Europe was Michael Bruns. He's from uh, PwC. He told our, us audience, that this, you know, restrictive perspective on the cloud also in Europe has changed to a lot more, you know, positive, let's get in approach. So I asked the other day on LinkedIn, what is your view? You know, did you go to the cloud? Answer in. Are you happy? Will you stay? Answer in. Did you not get in? And will you not get in? So it's an in-out kind of. The trigger for this was an article I read from, his name is um, David Heinemeyer Hansen. He's a co-owner, CTO of 37signals. It's a web software company. And he wrote in an article, uh, two pieces only, where why we're leaving the cloud. That was the headline. And he says, we've run extensively in both Amazon's cloud and Google's cloud. We've seen all the cloud has to offer and tried most of it. It's finally time to conclude renting computer is mostly, between brackets, a bad deal for medium-sized companies like ours with stable growth. The savings promised in reduced complexity never materialized, so we're making our plans to leave. And then I thought, you know, let's check what, um, you know, my followers, what they think of the topic. And they were the questions I asked. Still going to be there for a couple of days. Until now, 51 people have reacted so it's of course not uh, statistically representative it is 
only representative of the people who answered my questionnaire on LinkedIn. But uh, 70 set in and 30 set out. That's what came out. I I do share, you know, two, three data points here. So they all, because I can look into the details, right? And I can share some of it with you. So they all have to do something with AI and data. Half of them are from Germany. The other half from anywhere, the Netherlands, Belgium, Switzerland, the UK, Austria, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Denmark, USA, Canada, France, Kenya, from everywhere. And as far as the market segments is concerned, that is interesting. So uh, the number one is university research. There you go. <laughs> as you said before, Robert, there's a reason, I guess, for that. Maybe some students, uh, professors, people in research, they seem to be liking to uh, listen to us. But they're the majority is you know is in you know again be careful not that's not uh, statistically significant and from internet telco 50 50 automation the majority is a clear majority is for going to the cloud consulting as well but but that's all of course kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy you know if consulting is service is in the cloud I and mean, they can make money with it um and the only Final data point, there were in this case only two manufacturing companies, and they were both, let's say, still not for it, they would say, um, out. Again, not statistically representative, only for the 51 users that answered a Peter Seberg question on LinkedIn. I want to add something, Peter. I was invited by Lenze, I think, two weeks ago, and they introduced their new platform, Nupano, It's called Nupano. It's an automation software development platform. And this platform is based on AWS. So only to the automation perspective on, on platform and cloud provider. And you know Lancer for a long time, I, I believe. They would not have done something like that, let's say, 10 years ago. You don't know. Maybe not. No, the time not was sure. right. But maybe the time is right now yeah. for them at least. What else do you have? Yeah, I have uh, Jörg Bienert. He's the president of the German AI Association. And he asked readers on LinkedIn if they are aware of the general purpose AI. He says the current version of the AI Act, so that's the European Commission AI proposal, uh, which is the basis for discussions. Are you aware? In principle, the base thing is that there's a definition of what they call general purpose AI systems. I'm not going to go into too much details, but there's a kind of a definition for that. And he says, you know, as part of that definition, all kind of companies like, you know, related to technology like GPT-3, Bloom Stable Diffusion, we've talked a lot about, but also speech recognition software, OCR, many kind of other general applications, they could be applicable if they would be you know part of a belief of what is then specifically said high risk you know that's the classification of you know the high um, no go you know social scoring is a no go yeah. and then it's high risk in two other categories we talked about it a couple of times and he says that's not good you know it's way too broad and you know that's that should not continue and he, then he's asking am i being too pessimistic you know what do you think and i 
say, you know, first I say, I suggest that the European Commission use my definition of artificial intelligence. I'm very modest sometimes, which is, you know, artificial intelligence is when a human triggers an algorithm to recognize patterns in data as a result you know, reacting seemingly intelligent. I think that's always very important. Uh, and then I put the fun aside and I say, huh, I don't get it. You know, why are we talking about artificial general intelligence? That's like AGI. And that's about, as far as I'm concerned, the strong AI, you know, for those. And that's, I believe it's a very small section of people dealing with artificial intelligence, believing that algorithms may at some point in the future, you know, 2045 or 2060, depending on who you ask, who writes and stands up and will rule our world, which is a lot of humbug. I'm sorry, I do not subscribe to this idea completely. Uh, only humans like you and I, we again decided this morning to get up and talk to each other. Uh, the listeners decided that whatever they're doing at the very moment, decided to do something and at the same time, probably, typically, you know, uh, listen to our podcast. So I suggest that Jörg starts a petition proposing the European Commission to build the AI Act on a more common definition, not on AGI. Yes, I think Zepp promised some changes at the AI Act concerning the risk levels and stuff like that. I'm not sure what is the discussion about now. Yeah, that's the final thing. Well, no, actually not. I mean, I'm I'm reading almost. It's not a daily, but I look okay. at it daily. But it's, and 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 you know the way that we are organized in Europe is that I think that currently Czech is the country which then picks up the one that was there before. I think at least France was somewhere in there. So there's so many then you know countries in charge of it. But I believe there's two writers. You know, probably maybe from the main European parties, and they try to get things in and out until at some point in time, I think they believe something maybe next year, you know, everybody's going to agree. Let's see where we're going to get there. Do you have one more news or can I start with my news? Uh, you can do yours, but I still have two, three things to say okay. afterwards. Yeah, sure. I would like to start with Frank Hutter. You know Frank Hutter, I think. Uh, Frank is AutoML. Frank is AutoML, yeah. And he and his team introduced a new tabular data classification method. And now uh, that takes one second to train and test and yields SOTA performance. And it's called TAP-PFN. And uh, he wrote TAP-PFN is radically different from previous ML methods. It is meta-learned to approximate Bayesian inference with a prior based on principles of causality and simplicity. Simplicity, sorry. And it's very smooth and uncertainty estimates. And he wrote this may revolutionize data science. So everyone can get an own impression of it. I put the link in the show notes to the paper, but it sounds very interesting what Frank Hutter presented there. Yeah, I would certainly agree. Who uh, remind me of the um, of the name of the guy of the company when we did our recordings at Siemens, and there was this young guy, and he said, you know, whenever we need to do an inference, you know, we click on the button, 
we update our model, you know, complete and all up until the last millisecond, all the, the, the latest, greatest data is in there. It takes one second, and then we have the latest, greatest model. And what he did, and that was their USP. Do you remind what the name of the company is? Yeah, Philip was it. Philip Wout is from Tangent Works. Wow, very good. Belgium. Very good. Philip, sorry for that, but at least we have Robert with us to, <laughs> to remind. It's episode 161. Oh, very, very good. And what you told us philip is and the, you specifically made the reference to automatic you said yeah all it's nice and great and perfect but you've moved one step further and i think your technology was called information geometry i looked at it a couple of times but i haven't heard other people talk about it really and specifically you said you know automl yeah i mean I can run a hundred, a thousand, maybe ten thousand different models, different algorithmic approaches, and the best is chosen. But you said, you know, running a thousand models costs a thousand times energy, and running it one time is only one. That was a very strong claim. And here we go, only a month later, and of course, I'm sure Frank and his team have been working on it for whatever time it sounds like you know now a similar is it a, a one second um, approach as well from frank yeah that's very interesting i i invited frank hutter to come in our podcast and explain this new data classification method i'm still waiting for his answer but i wrote him an email and a linkedin message so uh, let's see if we have one more uh, research episode in this year. Yeah. yeah, we tried two years ago. I tried all kinds of ways and I talked to a couple of colleagues from him. I mean, those guys, I mean, Frank and his colleagues, I don't know the other names, but I did talk to, I think we talked to one of them. Oh, but that would be too far for you, even Robert. I did talk to one of them who at that time, maybe you do know, he was in the United States. He was in Wyoming. It was. Oh, uh, you know, you know, you recall. And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. I was part of that team. That's what he talked because they together have written the standard work on AutoML. Yeah. It's one of these things that people People just don't know that we, you know, bring up to the surface, right? Because if not, people say, oh, AutoML, isn't that Google? Isn't that, yeah, you know, Frank worked for Google a certain a specific um, time. Oh, yeah. that would be great if you could, uh, if you could get him then on this topic. I, I think it was Lars, Lars Kothoff. Yeah. He was an assistant professor in Wyoming. You're right. Yeah. Because you talked about the borderlines of Wyoming, you know, you remember? <laughs> That's your right. Yeah, yeah. My second use is Microsoft has developed an AI that helps programmers write code. So that okay. Oh, now you're gonna have a shit storm again, Robert. Are you sure you want to share this with our listeners? Yeah, yeah I wish. Yeah, uh, the AI was trained with the source code of countless open source projects. And that is why a developer now wants to sue. So I will put the, the whole text or oh, the whole wow. article in the, in the show notes. And I only wanted to add something. We already had an episode on open source and AI, but it's in German. And greetings to Julian. You can find it in the archive. No more discussion on this point. Oh, okay. Did I understand correctly? So developers want to sue Microsoft yeah. for having used yeah. what, GitHub, I guess, project. whatever. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, that's interesting. Well, okay, yeah, maybe you did already check with Julian. So Julian, you you do a, a German language podcast with yep. Julian, uh, just to you know to refer to him for those people who do not know. We had this episode with him in the in our industrial yeah. podcast, and, yeah. and he is you know a, a specialist. So if you didn't yet, maybe you want to check. I mean, my my point would be immediately, yeah, it's GitHub. You know, it's open source, as long as you abide by the rules, um, specifically of whatever. GitHub or whatever kind of area you are, as long as you abide by the rules, I think you're fine. Interesting then, but uh, but nevertheless, yeah, I mean, it's it's I would say it's a very general potential problem of whatever these hyper models, any of the hyper models, are based on scraping information from the internet. You know, almost like everything that is there. If then the scraping bots are as intelligent to recognize that you know there is content there that has certain copyright, you know, whatever. If we go to specific websites, I mean, here in Germany is bad. I saw something about Google fonts again by is it a german maybe a, a lawyer agency if you use them you know they're going to come after you so, so the point is you know it's is of course not only then with the the software right but it's with with any kind of hyper model that's based on something that you and i and all of our listeners and the other you know five billion people have somewhere on social media, you know, shared with each other, and that's being scraped and put into these huge models, you know, maybe a little bit of bias taken out and all kind of other things, and then used as models. Yeah, and only one sentence, open source is not free beer. So you have still licenses well, and you have to, to be very sure what you do with open exactly, source. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but that's my point. Yeah, and that's then still the difference. Well, it's not a difference. I mean, sure, that's what I meant. There is a specific license and what does the license allow? If you do something, you have to share it again, typically, right? But that's the same with the copyright. You know, with copyright on a website, you know, on whatever, your company, my company, I don't have one anymore i just stick to linkedin but it doesn't matter there's always copyright there you cannot just take content from people and reuse it without so that's going to be very interesting to see how that is going to turn out uh, especially as you know i mean we shouldn't do in this case microsoft bashing no we can but that's not our point our point is you know they've been they are very good to the community as is many times also google for example now let's see what it means if they now are going to be you know sued how they're gonna react to it yeah so it's an article everybody can read this article I've, i thought it's, it's interesting for our listeners to have this article so let's move on with your last news and then we go to the main part two quick ones i have a stefan meyer spignagel what a wonderful combined german family name <laughs> even more interesting than we know it typically from the Spanish people, right? They have these wonderful combinations. He's an AI solutions expert. He's actually the managing director at Blue Avenir. Uh, and he's, they are currently investigating the practical use of reinforcement learning for business problems such as MBA and next best actions. The question is, are multi-armed bandits practical as self-learning methods to identify the best actions for a given customer and to learn from the reaction of the uh, addressed customer base? Or is this just not possible as RL is to be applied only in multi-sequence environments? So they are curious to discuss the topic with reinforcement learning specialists. 
uh, interested parties, please contact Stefan, as I said, Stefan Meyer Spickenagel directly, or Robert or myself, Robert at AIPod.de or Peter at AIPod.de. Perfect. You want one more news? Or? I have a final, very quick as well. It's the old, now declared by NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang declared Moore's law is dead. He specifically refers to the extremely higher wafer manufacturing costs. We all understand, you know, everything is uh, becoming not just a bit, but a lot more expensive inflation, right? Which he says will not come down soon. You know, he probably has a good view on that. And having PC gamers cost go through the roof. I know from personal experience, just heard it yesterday, specific uh, private consumer people, you know, paying thousands of euros for these latest, greatest systems. Now, while the CPU, so that's the normal processor, you know, the central processing unit, development has fallen behind, yes, the GPU, so the graphics processing unit development, uh, anything based on matrix calculations, I would say very roughly, right? So graphics, machine learning, AI, whatever we do here in the industrial AI podcast as well, seems to have surpassed the last time that I checked. It was a, a doubling of the number of transistors per two point, roughly 25 years. So for the moment, bottom line, I would agree with uh, Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger. He was with Intel when I was there in the 1990s. He came back just a year or two ago, right, to rescue, I would say, a troubled company. You know, in the meantime, overtaken by TSMC, Samsung, AMD, Nvidia. You know, all of them. It's uh, it's a little bit sad, but you know, we the old guys, we believe that Pat can turn things the positive way around because he expires by the end of the decade a trillion transistors in a single package. And just to put it in perspective, that is about factor 100 from today's 10 billion on a smartphone chip. So what, when you hold your smartphone in your hand, maybe you have like from one to uh, 10 billion today. And soon, at by the end of the uh, decade, you're going to have 100 times more. He says he's on track to go there. So let's finish with long live Moore's Law. Long live Moore's Law. I heard some other rumors, but I don't want to go in details now because okay, we have a good. main part and it's 40 minutes, so we have to close now the news part, Peter. Good. So thanks for the news part. And we are now switching to Munich to the Center of Machine Learning. Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you and to our listeners. Enjoy listening our main part with the Munich Center for Machine Learning. I certainly will. Thanks. Have a good day and see you soon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and in one of the last episodes, we had Professor Dr. Sepp Hochreiter as a guest, and he presented his personal list of the top AI locations worldwide. Munich was missing from the top 10, and Professor Bernd Bischel, Professor Thomas Seidel, and Professor Kremers see it differently, contacted us, and that's why we talk to the three of them today about the brand new Munich Center for Machine Learning. Hello, Professor Bischel. Good morning. Hello, Professor Seidel. Hi. And hello, Professor Kremers. Good morning. At the beginning, I would like to ask you to briefly introduce yourself to the listeners. And maybe uh, Bernd Bischel will start. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for being here. So um, I've been part of the LMU now since about 2016. Um, my chair is called Statistical Learning and Data Science. And I guess I'm here because I'm also one of the directors of the Munich Center for Machine Learning on the LMU side. I'm a host, I'm, I'm located at the Institute for Statistics here at the LMU. I also run a Fraunhofer group together with uh, Thomas Seidel, um, I guess who will introduce himself in a few seconds. And um, I mainly do research in AutoML, so automating machine learning and interpretable machine learning, or I guess some people would call that XAI, and a lot of other things like probabilistic deep learning, boosting, um, research software engineering, and so on. So I have a pretty large group of about 30 persons here at the LMU, seven postdocs, about 25 PhDs who all do uh, machine learning, supervised machine learning um, in, a, in diverse variants, so to speak. Okay, thank you very much. Professor Seidel. Yeah, my name is Thomas Seidel. I'm professor at uh, LMU Computer Science or Informatics, as we call it. I uh, hold the chair on database systems and data mining. And data mining is also a topic we are working on. It's basically unsupervised learning, few labels learning, active learning uh, with a specialization in process mining. And I'm also a director of the LRZ and other uh, opportunities. And Professor Kremers from the UK today. Yes, so I'm currently uh, on sabbatical in Oxford, but I've been otherwise uh, the chair of computer vision and artificial intelligence at the TU Munich. I've uh, held this position for now 13 years. Uh, and in addition to running uh, the MCML, I'm also co-director of ELIS Munich, the Munich hub of the ELIS network, and also of the Munich Data Science Institute. Professor Bischel, let's start. What did uh, Hochreiter miss? What is the MCML? First of all, I guess the MCML is not, not exactly um, brand new. Um, as you said, I guess it depends a little bit on, on how you count that. So we have already existed since uh, 2018. So that's now four years. And at that point, we were allowed to be put into existence because of a project-based funding by the BMBF. And so we um, yeah, answered to that call to um, create a new National Center for Machine Learning, and I guess now it's rebranded a little bit as a National Competence Center for AI. And at that point, the LMU and the TUM got together to create that and, and put that into existence. And since uh, July this year, we uh, have been allowed to become a permanent center for machine learning here in Munich. What does it mean to get a permanent center? It means permanent funding. Yeah? So, and we are allowed to um, yeah, create permanent structures now to uh, upscale machine learning and AI, hopefully as much as possible here in Munich through these permanent structures. And it also allowed us to um, connect now a really, really large group of excellent PIs. So I think we started with around 12 people in 2018. And with people, I, I mean PIs now. So of course, there were a lot of more associated postdocs and, and PhDs and also funded uh, through the measures. And then it became 18 and now we are 50. So we really try to connect the 50 best persons in machine learning and AI through the center and fund them. How do you attract these best of the best for machine learning, Professor Seidel? So uh, attracting the best of the best in machine learning is requires international efforts, uh, but also local efforts. So if you only got the internationally best students, that would not help. Also, the locals need to be interested. So we, we do both. We advertise that orally in schools or so. And um, I think um, we are strong in research, um, basically. So many other research groups from the world know the Munich area, the, the 
two big Munich universities, and they may recommend um, to their students, to their high school students, um, that Munich is a good place for uh, doing their studies in the unaccredited case. And in the graded case, of course, it's more uh, research orientated. Uh, so I, I think we have a high visibility to, to gain um, good students. Professor Bischel, you want to add something? Yeah, I guess if, if we're talking about attracting people, I think we are especially talk, talking about attracting junior researchers, right? And the MCML, especially in its now um, permanent form, has really put a lot of effort into creating, um, let's say, inventive, creative new programs for attracting bright, uh, excellent junior researchers. So from next year on, we will offer very well-funded and attractive junior research groups. So a, a young researcher will get his own two PhD positions for uh, three to four years. Uh, this is modeled after the quite popular Amy Noether program. We also have something which is called the Thomas Bayes Fellowship, where hopefully um, young researchers can get their own um, substitute uh, professorship for a couple of years and uh, get, a, get a title, um, get good funding and a good salary. And um, we think these are creative programs that not every other university and every other center has. As Thomas said, uh, our universities are already quite visible. I'm also very thankful that you know, Daniel runs something like the Alice Note here. So we are also part of Alice and we're using the visibility of Alice, of course, also to attract more people. And that works, in my opinion, very, very well. And exactly these efforts are needed to make, I guess, Germany as a whole and its, its uh, excellent places here more visible. Professor Kremers? Yes, so uh, you pointed it out. This is for us the most important challenge is to attract talents. Because why? Because in art artificial intelligence, it's all about talent. It's not so much about funding. There is abundant funding. It's it's not that much about infrastructure, but the main challenge is, is talent because it is the smart people who develop the future AI technologies. And recruiting talents actually is something that matters on multiple levels, starting from master students, also including PhD students, and more senior researchers' uh, lines of funding that Bernd mentioned. They, they target in particular kind of people beyond the PhD, postdocs and senior researchers, people who will form the next generation of professors. But I wanted to mention that also on the level of bachelor, master and PhD students, we do have quite an attractive uh, position in Munich because the two universities that form MCML, the LMU and TUM, happen to be the leading universities in Germany, according to the latest Shanghai rankings. And that, that, so this, the thing is, they typically alternate once TUM is number one, once LMU is number one, typically in an, in an alternating pattern. But we are both kind of the top universities in Germany. And we can see that. We can see that the students we get, there is a large number of students uh, and, and uh, there are many, many really talented people among our students. And I think this is something that is, uh, in general, a, a good side of the German academic system. If I compare to the US, for example, I've spent many years of my career in the US. In the US, even in the top schools, the PhD students are typically recruited from abroad from China, from Russia, from Europe. Whereas in our case, we recruit from all over the world, but we have an abundant uh, number of talents in Germany that we can recruit from our own students because they are just very good. I have one more question because you mentioned the, the research and uh, the young talents. The one thing is to count 
papers. And the other thing is to establish an ecosystem with cooperation with companies. I think that's also very important. If you look to, to Amsterdam, for example, the Qualcomm Lab and TomTom and Bosch and Microsoft, they are all doing their labs there or planning their labs. Um, how important is to build an ecosystem around the MCML? Maybe Professor Bischel. I guess I can try to speak to that and then other people like Thomas and so on uh, can add to that. I mean, first of all, I wanted to add, I think one of the, the great things about Munich, what also might make it a little bit confusing from the outside is that there's such a rich environment of different initiatives. Yeah. So let's maybe also not forget that there's something like a new Konrad Suse school here in Munich, uh, which is uh, on reliable AI. This is not run by us, but by people who are also part of the MCML. And that school is major purpose is basically there to uh, attract uh, young and bright international master students and to attract uh, also young PhDs. And they also do this um, with a lot of collaboration projects with industry. So this is exactly therefore to, to answer to that, uh, to that goal that you, just, uh, that you just outlined. Who wants to tell me something about the ecosystem? Professor Kremers? Yes, I'm happy to do that. So Munich offers a great ecosystem for industrial collaborations. It is one of the big hotspots for industry in general, starting from automotive industry, companies like BMW, uh, even even Audi, Volkswagen are not far. They have labs in Munich, uh, but also the big US corporations are here. You know, Google has one of the largest German offices here in Munich, and it's expanding dramatically at a dramatic pace but also other companies like NVIDIA, like Intel, like Apple, they're all building labs here. Why? Because they see the talent pool that we have and the attractivity of also the MCML and, and its surrounding uh, ecosystem. Professor Seidel? I want to add, uh, in addition to what uh, Daniel Kremers just said, that we had the big companies uh, from Germany, but also in the international big players in the IT market. We also are active on both universities uh, in the entrepreneurship area. So it's not just the big companies or even the small and medium enterprises that are there, but also the young talents, not only in research, and uh, but also in, in uh, creating companies. Um, so the last uh, Crunchbase Top 500 lists. Interestingly, TU Munich on the first place, LMU Munich on the second place uh, before all the other uh, German universities. So there's a big area in startups um, and, and funding for those. And we also support that with our activities in MCML. Uh, so we have coordinators uh, that create programs to, to bring this idea of, of founding your own enterprise as a student to uh, the IT students, but also students from the other cases. And also, our, um, um, so we have, we had before also the um, data innovation lab at TOM, the data science lab at LMU. So we join forces on the different uh, sites to support also that Germany gets better in creating new services um, and not just doing good research, but also bring them the results uh, uh, to society as a whole. So the, the MCML is a bridge between university research and business or how you want to define this, this MCML? 
Yeah, so we have different foci. So one is basic research, of course, and we are very, very strong there, but uh, others are also education. And since it's the, this is the industrial news podcast, uh, we refer to this particular uh, focus uh, in special. So we have a coordinator that attracts and, and gains and collects inquiries from industry, distributes it in the center. So we want to foster that on, on all the levels of industry. Uh, so we see our as a bridge. So the individual collaborations are done in the individual groups by our project leaders, principal investigators we have there. Uh, we have some overarching uh, models, all these labs uh, where the, the principal investigators find additional infrastructure on top to the infrastructure of the individual groups. So we want to to strengthen this bridge, uh, that we are attractive for researchers to find collaborations with industry, for industry to find collaborations uh, with uh, strong university groups, research groups, and to uh, create new enterprises with this entrepreneurship idea. So, yeah, that's that's a part, a, bi- a big part of our mission statement. Not the only one, uh, but an, an important pillar. Professor Bischel? Yeah, of course, we also want to act as a bridge uh, towards industry. And I guess it's absolutely fine in, in a podcast like this to discuss this here. But uh, this is not our, our only goal, right? I, I guess, in my opinion, foremost goal of the MCML is to really do excellent research in machine learning, to connect excellent researches, and then act as bridges towards different areas of society and industry. And we run also other programs. We also run something like data science for the social good, uh, where we do not connect with industries, but with NGOs and public agencies and so on. So agencies which usually have a harder time to get financing for uh, data science projects, but which are nevertheless really important um, for, for society. And we also run consulting units for machine learning and science. All of these areas are very important. We are fortunate enough to have I don't know, enough funding, enough critical mass um, to be able to do all of these things. Professor Kremers, you want to add something? Yes, I'd like to add something. As Bernd mentioned, the MCML is pursuing multiple goals, uh, but one of the very important ones that is very dear to my heart is the one that Thomas Seidel mentioned, namely startup creation. Uh, it is no secret that that most of the leading tech companies in the world have been created on the West Coast. And I think it is time for Europe to catch up because we have the skills, we have the talents, we have the manpower, we have the ideas here in Munich, in Germany and in Munich. And, uh, and I think we, we can do better on that level. And I've personally, uh, you know, I have created a number of startups myself. I've been advisor to numerous startups. Some of these have, have now billion dollar valuations. And I think there is expertise there that we can tap into and that we can convey to the next generation how to build startups, how to make them grow. And I think we're on a good track there. You know, in the AI area, there are companies like Silonis is a unicorn that is, a, you know, a TUM-based startup, essentially, right? And so I think we can do more of these success stories in order to bring all the great technology and science that we develop into the next generation of companies. 
I think two weeks ago, I had an, an interview with Kay Snook from the University in Amsterdam, and he told me one advantage of, of Amsterdam, for example, is that there are different domain experts. They have medicine, they have uh, biological studies, they have physics, chemical. Is it an advantage also for Munich, because you have the LMU and the TU, to have different domains and you can do machine learning or AI in different with different domain experts? Professor Seidel? Yeah, that is uh, what we structured MCML around. It's the research pillars. We define three areas. One is the, the foundations, mathematics, statistics, uh, computer science. And the uh, second one is everything with perception. That's computer vision on, on one side and natural language processing on the other side, where we have very, very strong groups in Munich on the, both universities with uh, different uh, focus. The third um, pillar, the third area, research area we have defined is domain-specific machine learning. What's that domain-specific machine learning? Domain-specific machine learning. So you can say one facet of that is just applications, go for applications. There is a demand, um, there's a lot of data science questions where you can apply machine learning. But it turned out that it's worth to think about if you apply standard techniques from machine learning to medicine, to biology, to um, society uh, sciences, to um, physics or wherever, uh, earth observation, things like that, then you can do that and the standard techniques will work somehow well. But if you do, if, if you take up the research opportunities uh, which uh, um, show up there, uh, so the particular characteristics of the data types there with time, with uh, spatial information in, in, in some domains and uh, more images, more textual information in the other domains, then it's worth uh, to research on this particular, on this peculiar characteristics and to not just to adaptate standard techniques but to to engineer them to develop uh, new techniques uh, taking uh, that into account so the close connection to the application domains uh, medicine biology so all the life sciences the society uh, sciences natural sciences um, they all have a certain peculiarities and if they are connected to mcml they won't do that on their own with their own expertise in their domain but they are connected to the expertise of the machine learning groups and uh, so we have a strong way to develop appropriate and fitting uh, solutions so that's a very important thing hmm? professor Bischel? I mean, you, you asked about the environment, right? I mean, if you look at LMU in Tumen, if you look at what we have there in terms of medicine, in terms of engineering, in, in physics, uh, in psychology, in, in social sciences, and so on, I guess it's very, very hard to find, a, a, I don't know, more excellent, a more exciting environment in Germany. And the MCML now fosters direct collaboration between these uh, people doing, uh, I don't know, core algorithmic uh, machine learning and uh, doing machine learning in these domain sciences so they can directly do research together but we also have these uh, these consulting units right which um, allow to tr allow the transfer of knowledge yeah, for for projects on, on every level in these areas and I think this is um, a very very uh, exciting facet of machinery bringing this to application upscaling these domain sciences and helping them to make very interesting and fascinating new scientific discoveries professor Kremert? yes in fact uh, like Bernd said a lot of the, the the key innovations in machine learning actually emerged from various application areas 
areas. And this is common for the development of science in general, that science, you know, mathematics, for example, doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from studying applications. And and so, for example, uh, things like deep learning that are now super popular in all areas of machine learning and the sciences, they emerged in fields like natural language processing and computer vision. And that's where, where they basically uh, had their rise to fame, uh, right? And, and in these areas, be it computer vision, be it natural language processing, be it earth observation, we are really one of the leading hubs in Germany, in Europe, and I would say worldwide. And we are backed by, you know, structures, not just these top uh, excellent elite universities, TUM and LMU, but also the German Aerospace Center, DLR, or the big hospitals, some of the biggest in Germany. And so in fields like medical AI, we are clearly number one in Germany uh, and possibly in Europe. I want to come back to, to attract young talent people. The one important thing, or also researchers, one important thing is infrastructure, computing power. What about this topic? What, what can you offer there? Professor Seidel. Yeah, so we have the good situation that the Leibniz uh, Supercomputing Center, which is one of the three uh, high performance, highest performance computing centers in Germany, as I do in Stuttgart, um, is um, the university uh, computing center. So we are closely connected to, to that. Uh, also in person, so I'm a member of the board of directors there. And Leibniz Rechenzentrum is well prepared um, to host our computing infrastructure. So aside all the local clusters we have in our groups, uh, we have a big one. So we got a big funding uh, from BMBF um, last year or the year before. That was 2 million euros. That sounds little for high performance people, but it's a good starting point uh, for our or a good um, extension of our machine learning, GPU-based um, uh, infrastructure, and we will continue that. So there is a lot of computing power. We still demand more and more since the models uh, we calculate in the different groups, they get bigger and bigger. The resolution of images gets higher so that the, the computing power is never enough and it's, it's well used. And so we are very happy to have that. Professor Kremers, you want to add something? Yes, so this is indeed an important aspect. Machine learning is fueled by access to uh, nowadays, especially in areas like deep learning, it's fueled by access to large, uh, you know, GPU farms. And this is, uh, you know, we have been putting millions into this at MCML. So we are, I think, well prepared and we, we have everything uh, to tackle these big challenges. But nevertheless, and this is something with, we discussed with Angela Merkel, our former chancellor, uh, in, in uh, regarding the question of how Germany could do better still. This is a big challenge. We, you know, no matter how many millions we put into GPUs, we cannot really rival with players like Google, Meta, or others in terms of the number of GPUs. And so this is a challenge, but this is a challenge not just for the MCML, it is a challenge for academia in the world. Yeah, I think that that's a very important point, Professor Kremers, because I listened to a talk at a at a conference and it was about tech companies, the new research companies. Are there new competitors for the MCML coming from Meter and Google? And what what is the advantage of MCML versus a competitor from a tech company? Professor Kremers? 
So the interaction with the big players in industry is a complex one. You know, it is a, an interaction of collaboration and mutual support. We get funding from the big tech companies. We do collaborations. We work with them together on research. Uh, we, but we also provide uh, the graduate students that end up then working for for all the big tech companies. And so it's it's it, there is a collaboration, but it is also to some extent a competition. And that competition, from my perspective, starts after the PhD. Up until the PhD, we get the top talents, but after the PhD, for example, the postdoc category, this is a challenge. It's a challenge because the salaries that uh, researchers are offered in industry are going completely through the roof these days. And as you know, in academia around the globe, the salaries that you can offer to a postdoc are largely fixed salaries. No matter how much funding we have, we cannot give someone three salaries, right? We're not allowed to do that. And so this is, for me and for us at MCML, the biggest challenge to how to, how to retain talents after the PhD. And, but this is where we offer these programs that Bernd already mentioned, the Thomas Bayes Fellowships, the junior research groups, because what we can offer is we can offer researchers funding to do research at a larger scale, to develop their own team, to build up their independent team. And this independency, I think, this is something that academia can offer and that may well be worth more than any salary that you can get. Professor Bischel? Well, I completely agree with what, what Daniel said. And um, the situation is, is, is not simple and, and easy for us um, because of uh, especially these, these salary problems. And it's, a, it's an issue we have to uh, decide as a society. Where do we want uh, the core AI ML research to happen? Do we want, to hap do we want that to happen um, to a larger extent in companies who can also shut us off from these new results? And um, at the moment, uh, companies like Like Google and Meta and Amazon, they are very, very active at conferences, yeah? but it's their prerogative to change that. And to be honest, I've been part of other scientific communities where exactly that happened, where people were all bought off um, by the companies. And at some point, they just started listening in at the conferences. They were not producing all new results, for example. And this is also, uh, yeah, again, I guess a matter of uh, who, who controls uh, where that research happens. Yeah? And I'd rather have that to a large extent in academia. Professor Seidel? Yeah, I want to add, I, I completely agree, and particularly Daniel Kremers uh, mentioned the challenge uh, we have in the competition on postdocs and that we cannot pay several salaries at the same time. I think we need to be careful, maybe that's particular for the companies and the German ones, I think understand it better than the American ones, that if, if we buy out the scientific area, the universities, then we kill the next generation. So who will educate the next students, the next postdocs who are then successful in industry? And maybe one solution is really paying several salaries, say by sharing postdocs, part-time the university, part-time at industry, That happens now with some sabbatical solutions. Uh, people go there for three months to industry. It could also be weekly, part-time, half the week at the university, half the week in industry. Uh, so then we have an even more practical education, so driven by the demands from industry. That's not just the applications, but it's the taking up the ideas, digesting it in a scientific way at the university, working on that, and not losing the high talents we need for education and for guidance the new um, PhD students and things like that. So I think there are more 
models necessary. And we think about that and there are different solutions and there is some exchange and things need to move. We need both. We need the talents in industry, but we also need them in the universities and maybe why not sharing them? At the end, I have two more questions. We talk a lot about the 100 AI professors in Bavaria and a lot more professors and everywhere in Germany. But I think we develop second-class AI professors when everybody wants can be a professor for AI do we do we have to focus on on Champions League and not about second class professors for AI professor Kremers yes obviously we have to focus on Champions League but I think we are doing quite well we have some of the leading researchers worldwide working at uh, at MCML and so I think we are generating really first class researchers We have been very strong in recruiting top talents from around the globe, and we are continuing to do so. But, but my question was, Professor Kremers, at every university, at every applied science university, there's an AI professor. Is this, is this necessary? Does it make sense, Professor Kremers? Uh, yes, I think it does make sense because, you know, you want to be excellent, you want to be world leading, but at the same time, and this is something that German academia realizes, you want to also educate the large population about what is AI, how does it work? Because it's not only, you know, it's not only about the top talents that, you know, but it's also about lots of small and medium companies in Germany that, that need expertise in AI. And so we need to teach the next generation. And we're doing that. For example, we've been, I've offered, uh, I've set up the first deep learning classes in, in Munich back in 2017. And these easy you know quickly rose to more than a thousand students every semester in our deep learning classes at this point i think it's at least 1200 every semester that we educate and teach deep learning now not all of them are super stellar the brightest of the brightest but they learn ai they learn the basics so that they can actually deploy them in the companies that they might end up working for. And I think this is quite valuable and this is a societal value of high importance. It's not only about the smartest of the smartest, it's also about you know, bringing this expertise into society. Professor Seidel? Yeah, I want to add something. So we have the 100 prof new professorships in the Bavarian high-tech agenda, where we are very happy that Bavaria is, is well supported by uh, our uh, government, state government here. Um, 15 of them are closely affiliated as principal investigators in MCML. And one decision of our university, and we first thought, hmm, why doesn't go all AI new AI professors to the computer science and statistics department? They distributed them among the other faculties. And the, I think there is, in, in that sense, a good initiative since in Germany or in Europe in general, we are strong in basic research and general purpose solutions, but we are also strong in domain-specific solutions. So think in industry, we have SAP. SAP is not a general purpose um, solution company, but they go particularly for managing uh, enterprises and enterprise resource um, data or Siemens. They, they don't do general purpose. They go for certain industries with particular solutions or Silonis. They go for process mining and process management. And in this sense, we have a lot of different um, demands in the history, um, 
in business administration, in physics, in, in, in all the, the other areas, uh, medicine, biology. So it's, it's also a good idea to gain the good talents there and not just to find the last uh, computer science or statistics or mathematics uh, professor who is not top-notch. Uh, so, by the way, we were very successful at both universities So to, to gain a very good uh, professor. So we are very happy. But we couldn't have hired 100 top computer science professors. Uh, so it's also from the other domains. And artificial intelligence as a generalization of machine learning has an effect to society, to other sciences. And to study that as well, to think the effects of the technical solutions, um, that's also important. And so I think it's a strengthening. And it will not be bad to have so many new professorships in the area. Professor Bischel? I mean, another maybe orthogonal point is, to me, it seems quite obvious that however we want to label that AI machinery or data science is now quickly becoming its an independent individual new field of education and research okay if we accept that as a fact i guess then also it also makes sense to have professorships and programs in many places huh? as statistics became independent of maths and computer science became its own independent field and then of course some places will be a little bit better some places will be a little bit worse some will be larger some will be smaller but i think we are not i don't know helping the field by limiting now Uh, the number of positions. I think what we have to do is we have to also think about uh, funding measures to create like excellent, excellent seed points. I think what what, what is more a problem is kind of that the German is Germany is kind of uh, struggling under historically not so optimal situation where we should have maybe done something like this 20 years ago. But this is not anything that's particular to an individual university like Munich. Um, this, this is a problem for Germany as a whole. And it, it doesn't help if we, the only thing we now can do is, is speed up instead of slow down. But what is important is that we don't dilute these terms, okay? If everybody is able to label himself as a, I don't know, um, as an AI person, that's a problem. We have to focus on, I don't know, the, the core techniques and we have to define these terms better, I think. This episode is a little bit more a science political episode and normally we discuss a lot of use cases from industrial perspective. And so at the end, I wanted to, to know because that's, that's one question in our podcast. We ask our interview guests, what are the KPIs for the machine, uh, Munich Center for Machine Learning? How you measure your success at the end? Professor Seidel. Yeah. So we did not yet define a formal system of KPIs, but what we first look as uh, researchers is uh, the, the outcome in terms of research. So how many A star and A conference proceedings, which are peer-reviewed publications, do we have or uh, journal publications do we have? That's the, the very first thing. But then also we see, uh, we look at what good positions to our doctoral students and, and postdocs gain in academia, in university. It's not just counting money, uh, what we earn uh, from collaborations with industry. That's also an important thing. And many people look at that and it's it's also important, but not, not the first thing. Maybe we should should develop a system, but uh, research is a little resistant to, to that in general. To KPIs. Yeah, KPIs, yeah. Uh, Professor Kremers? I, I think what Thomas mentioned is summarizes it nicely. 
Okay, perfect. It was a pleasure to talk to you, Professor Thomas Seidel, Professor Daniel Kremers, and Professor Bernd Bischel. We are very happy to have these three directors of the Munich Center for Machine Learning in our podcast. Uh, we wish you all the best and good luck for the center, and we will listen to maybe a new episode in one year and talk about KPIs of the Machine Learning Center in Munich. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.